1: Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Podcast One presents,
2: this is a collect call from Sing Sing.
0: My name is John J. Lennon. I'm locked up for selling drugs and committing murder. I'm also a contributor for Esquire magazine and The Marshall Project. So I'm a writer and I'm a prisoner.
1: Imagine trying to stay focused and talk about issues of substance, with geeks slamming, prisoners screaming, and PAs blaring in the background. Get new episodes every Wednesday on Spotify, Podcast One, and Apple Podcasts.
3: Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I am Danny Lue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Mike Prada, who most of you know for SB Nation, and he just started the Prada's Pictures newsletter that you can subscribe to at mikeprada.substack.com. And we talk about a couple different things. His titleless series that he kind of created and cultivated at SB Nation, the process behind it, how the results turned out, uh, surprises along the way, a few teams that interested both of us in that process. We also talk about his new endeavor and his his great first piece on Scottie Pippen's importance in the Bulls finally overcoming the bad boys and a lot of other things along the way. It was a, a really interesting conversation, runs a little bit under an hour brought to you by Bet Online. You can use the Podcast One promo code for your sign up bonus. And you can also listen at the end of this. Uh, there's a, a preview of UFC 249 with Chael Sonnen and Dave Mason. You can listen to that. It's all the way at the, at the very end of the podcast, but you can check that out. And you can listen to my conversation with Mike Prada, which starts right now. Thanks so much for coming on.
0: Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, reaching out at my time of need, so to speak.
3: <laughs> hey, I, I was going to reach out even b- even before that because uh, I was I was really interested in talking with you about this big endeavor that you went through that you kind of led. It was it was obviously a larger effort at SBN with Titleist, and where I wanted to start was actually because when I heard about the project, I was like, oh god, one of the big things that's going to be a challenge here is figuring out who does and doesn't qualify and instead of going like I'll, I'll just seed it to you at first like what what were you cognizant of what were you kind of trying to include and avoid
0: I think it's, it speaks a lot to how you think that, like, that was the biggest thing that you were worried about is, like, worrying that, like, you'd pick someone that was not qualified into the well, mix. It, it, also, <laughs> I mean, it, it also
3: ties in, funny. I mean, I've, the teams that I'm closest to geographically include some of the best non-championship teams of the, of the, like, last 50 years happen to have occurred in the Bay Area in the last five.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So
3: like they, like because I I, when I was first thinking about it, I'm like well, there are a lot of ways to do it so that like the 16 seventeen and nineteen 20, or, and 18 nineteen warriors don't count, but right. I mean if we' if the if it were a broader conversation, which I mean could theoretically be an opportunity in a different venue uh, I was like, so okay, so that was like a basic thing It's like okay, if they won a championship, but then it, it did be I'm sure I'm sure that was something you thought a lot about.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, that part of it. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, when I was first thinking about like sort of something stuff to do, you know, during this quarantine, assuming that I would sort of stick around at SB Nation for it the whole time, which is not the case right now and being in the furlough, like this was one of the things that I kept thinking about was we're not gonna get a playoffs that is normal. That sucks. The playoffs are amazing. So maybe we can like sort of retroactively rethink like what playoffs looked like in the past. And I just remember I don't know what prompted the thought or why it kinda of got in my head to think about the teams that just fell short. Maybe I was like sort of watching one of their games at some point. I honestly don't remember. But I thought it would be kind of poetic if you could almost do like a last chance playoff where it's like you know how like in tennis tournaments they have like the lucky loser that advances or the wild cards or yeah. whatever. I had this thought of like, well, there's it there may not be a trophy awarded this season, so let's award like kind of a last chance trophy. And once I got to that point, I figured that it was only fair to talk about teams, and I think it made it more interesting because otherwise, I think to your point, the 73-win Warriors would just win easily as the best team to never win a title. I thought it'd be more interesting to kind of make it so it was more about eras and players and groups that didn't win together, that the ones that really fell short and fell short in bitter ways and kind of put them in the tournament. And so it was actually not that difficult at first to say like, oh, let's exclude the teams that won. As I was digging through it, I realized I needed to be a little more specific as to like when did an era start and an era end. I also realized that 64 teams is a lot of teams. Yeah. <laughs> so there are a lot more teams on the borderline that I had to like kind of look at. I was like, oh, I got to find room for them, I guess. So the part about not including teams that had won before was not the hardest thing right defining criteria was tricky but like i I figured that like i could have some subjectivity in in there and sort of the eras they interest what actually took the longest was then making sure i had like every possible team and could find 64 of them
3: Mm -hmm. yeah and and also i mean defining it in in ways that are that makes for the most interesting field. I mean, one of the ones that you got into and in, uh, was was how to deal with the two thousands Pistons because, like, the two thousands Pistons did win a yeah. championship, and they also did change around a little bit within that time period. So, ma- making through that, and also, I mean, it just kind of making it that it's it, nothing's ever going to be perfect. Like, you can't you can't do a set of filters that's going to include everyone that you want and not include everyone that you don't want, but getting as close as you can. And I think that the idea of you know cores and all that so like stockton and malone so the, the that is a different era of jazz basketball than some of the other things and like at one point i was i was thinking about because the spurs are such a challenging player i'm like yeah you yeah, know I the have, 16 <laughs> the sixteen seventeen spurs would be a really compelling team in this tournament i mean the sixteen seventeen spurs have this unusual or sorry the the 15 16 spurs the, so the either team.
0: one really yeah. i mean they're they both had very similar seasons.
3: Sure, yeah, like and and for me the 15-16 one, that was, you know, one of the best teams ever regular season-wise to not be the best team in their own conference and then also the way that they didn't make the finals was very unusual. You know, like you have all the yeah. sl- you have all that with the, with Kawhi, and wait, am I conflating the two years? Sixteen, seventeen was the year.
0: So fifteen, sixteen was the year they got upset by Oklahoma City in the second round. Sixteen, seventeen yeah, the was the year that Kawhi turned his ankle. Yes, um, okay. that was actually another interesting challenge. I mean, the uh, original idea was to make it a bracket, and I was talked out, I think, correctly of doing that and doing something a little different because there are just brackets everywhere, and this was just blended in to like the entire internet. But one of the one of the challenges that originally was a bracket, and then I had to sort of, there, there are different teams within the era that lost in different ways. So San Antonio is an example. You know, you can't really call the Kawhi era flame out. like they lost when they should have lost. That's probably more of a what might have been. But I had enough of those teams. So I had to put the flame out team in there. And so that got a little complicated. I kind of I I like this a little bit of subjectivity there because then we can talk about it and like it's sort of a fun debating topic. But that was a little that was definitely a little challenging. And you know, another good example is a lot of people ask me where are the '96 Sonics, right? Their team that won 64 games and lost to the Bulls in the finals. I had to explain that a I picked a different Sonics team, and b that Sonics team flamed out, whereas the 96 6 team just sort of lost to a better team, and then it got a little confusing there. Um, so that actually was like a little bit of a headache too.
3: Yeah, and there there are there are challenges in terms of definitions. But something else that I really liked about the endeavor was that you that as you said you got talked out of it being a full bracket is that it especially with an element like this where. You know, the, the wisdom of crowds is real, but you also get really complicated fandoms, and also some teams, some players, have different volumes of fan base that might not exactly act in the who is better, you know, concept. You know, I, there, there are yeah. some very loved teams and some less loved teams that go in there. So the idea of mixing in, in kind of a couple different ways, mixing in fan voting, but also not making it exclusive, I thought that was a really good idea, and... It's a challenge. Like that's something Nate and I have been dealing with in terms of our um, – the the kind of episode bracket that we've been doing to figure out to – do, to do new episodes. It's like, well – so what we did was we ta- we tailored the field and then we, we kind of let it go from there. But I like the way that you handled it of, well, fan voting is a consideration, but it's not the whole
0: thing. It's most of the consideration. But yeah, I, I wanted to make sure there was a fail-safe way to flip it. Um, All-Star vote, the way All-Star voting works in the NBA, like with the 50% fans, that seemed like a really obvious sort of thing. And then... It only flips if – I also had 25% was just like my pick and 25% was a simulation. So if the two twenty five percent overrode the 50%, that seemed like a smart way to kind of handle it. I mean for us obviously making it fan-centric and doing it through our fan pulse, if that's even what it's still called, <laughs> thing was kind of the whole point of like us doing it because that's kind of our, our – I, I, I say us but – Technically, it's still us, I guess. Yeah. Um, SB Nation doing it, but yeah, no, I, I just because otherwise, I mean, we've seen so many br- brackets online get ruined by fan ba- ballot stuffing. You know, that's just sort of how it it goes, and so I just wanted to make sure there was like sort of a check on that.
3: Well, and then you also resolved part of it in in a way that I think you know it create it cr- it creates some interesting challenges, but I think it, it's kind of a fair way is reducing it – part of the way it reduced from 64 to – was that 32? Yeah, to the final 32 yeah. teams was throwing certain parts of it back because SB Nation is this big conglomeration, throwing it back to more fan groups. So, I mean, the one for me that was a real challenge when I kind of thought about it conceptually was the 2012 Thunder versus the 2016 Thunder. So yeah. the twenty the 2012 Thunder made the finals – Lost to lost to the Heat. The twenty sixteen Thunder team made it to the Western Conference Finals, in my opinion, should have won the Western Conference Finals, not because they were better regular season team than the Warriors, but because of extenuating circumstances. And then, you know, and then didn't make it I, Iguodala said this before, a lot of other people have that if the Thunder had made it to the finals that year, I think they would have won. And right. and so throwing it back, it's not going to lead to perfect results, but it is a group of people, especially in that case because it was so recent, that you would think would would at least be able to come to a reasonable result, even if it's not the perfect one.
0: Yeah, yeah, that that I have to thank Seth Pollock and all the other folks for coming up with that idea to kind of clarify, make it. They involve all the communities and make them the ones that picked some of them did it via their own fan polling and some of them just made a choice it sort of depended but yeah, i mean the thunder in general were just a really challenging team for so many reasons one is how do you define an era i think you would agree that well it was was helped
3: by them never winning a championship so it's not like there were any teams that were going to be excluded for that reason though you could have to argue about who's eligible
0: Right, right. And so obviously the the Harden trade, I think, is a good era split upper. But then you ran into the challenge of, well, which of the post Harden Thunder teams were better? I mean, you could argue that the team that the 2016 team was actually the worst of them, at least in the regular season, but they also got the furthest yeah you know, so well, and, and, and
3: also I, I dealing with injuries and representative like what is representative and yeah I mean like for the argument for me, so like if it if it had been if if they had made me the arbiter of which thunder team, I would have leaned towards to me, you know, and I've covered the league the entirety of 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 that time, which is weird to think about, it makes me feel old, but the to me the the sixteen Thunder team was the best when they got eliminated. Like they were to me yeah. they, they had they like they were I was at those two games, game three and game four, the first two in Oklahoma City, where it's just like, oh my god, these guys are world beaters. Like they were they were incredible in the size and the speed that they played with and the offense wasn't perfect, but it worked well enough. And the I mean, that isn't to do anything to denigrate... Let's talk particular about the 2012 team. I mean, the 2012 team, remember, they were down 2-0 to the Spurs and then just beat the crap out of them. And that was a really good Spurs team, too. Mm-hmm. So you you can make credible arguments you could do that and so yeah I, mean, I i thought the thunder were 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 a a compelling example to to go through it and yeah you could make an argument that if if the goal were to create the best 32 team field that you might want multiple representatives from the same team but also to create the most worthwhile 32 team field it probably is better to keep it separate because otherwise you could have some other problems of like four different thunder teams or something else
0: yeah, that was – I mean also like we just wanted to include all the team's communities in a way and make them feel a part of it. Um, make, them,
3: make them feel their own pain. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, I mean someone was telling me like, I, wait, you want me to vote on whether like this team was more tragic or this team? Like, well, this isn't very fun at all. Um, but yeah, no. Well, I, you, I, I
3: would think about it in the more positive way, which is like which of these teams was your best yeah, no, than, I, I agree.
0: Than, the other interesting one was Phoenix. Phoenix had oh, yeah. a lot of Phoenix Phoenix and Portland, although I think Portland there's a clearer best team of the group that made the field and went pretty far. Phoenix was I I, I was a little surprised and although maybe not just because I think there was a lot of nineties nostalgia in this tournament. I was a little surprised about all the calls were like, Hey, where are the 93 sons? Why did they pick the seven seconds or less sons over the 93 sons? And, you know, Phoenix had those two teams. They had a couple Kevin Johnson teams from before Barkley. They had, they had
3: some good teams in the seventies too.
0: They had some good teams in the seventies that were involved. You know, they had a lot of options and, it, it looks a little weird in hindsight that like neither the Thunder of 2016 or the 93 Suns even made the tournament. But I think it worked out. They would have lost at some point anyway. So I, I think it worked out OK. But that was that was another interesting like sort of fan choice that, um, you know, I think the 93 Suns are overrated. I've gone on that record before. So I thought they made the right choice. But, you know, a lot of people disagree with me.
3: And I, I'm not I I'm pretty open that I'm not a basketball historian. I got into this I got into the sport late and so there were a lot of teams that I didn't have familiarity with. And one of the one of the teams that I got really interested in when I was writing my book on, on the Warriors was the seventy five seventy six Suns. And yeah. the seventy five seventy six Suns so the Warriors had won the title in seventy five. They 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 beat the Bullets four zero. And came back the next year and were a better regular season team than the champions mm-hmm. the year before. And they lost to that that Suns team. Westfall coached them. Um
0: they, Westfall but, was a star player, I think. John McLeod was oh, the Oh yeah, coach. sorry,
3: sorry, I got that right. McLeod was the coach. Westfall was the star player. Sorry, I was a few years ahead. Yeah. Um and and that that was a really a really interesting team. Like they, they didn't do, and this gets into something else they have to clarify. Like they lost in the finals, but they also were a forty-two and forty regular season team. So later in the seventies and eighties, then you have those Suns teams one hundred and fifty and fifty-five and all that. So it's it. Yeah, you're right. I I hadn't thought about it off the cuff, but yeah, Phoenix has some really really <sighs> compelling ones. And Phoenix as one of the like one of the only franchises sort of paralleling the Thunder. That, if we're counting it as a clean break from when they moved to Seattle, is one of the only teams that had a lot of good squads and never won a championship at all. So then picking one in some ways gets more difficult.
0: Yeah, I had, our son's blogger had hit me up before this project and was like, oh man, we're gonna, this is going to be really tough for us, isn't it? I was like, yep. <laughs> yep." So did our Blazers people. Those are probably the two teams that were most commonly cited because Portland's got the Drexler years, they've got the Jail Blazers, they've got the Rory Odin stuff, um, they've got the current era, which you could argue, like maybe there was a 2019 team was one of the last snubs of the field. Maybe they belonged. I didn't think so. Um, but maybe they belonged, and then they this team wasn 't eligible, but they also had the post Walton years. A lot of them were asking where 's the seventy eight team that won like sixty something games and I had to explain to them that they weren 't eligible but there 's a lot there with portland you know it 's just funny seeing some of the same teams like pop up again over and over you know Oklahoma City if you count Oklahoma City and Seattle as one franchise, they had four three of the top eight seeds. Yeah, <laughs> so that's uh, you would never do that, but just that's kind of funny to think about.
3: Yeah, it's it's crazy, and I mean, in some ways, obviously, I, I have my own proclivities with all of this, like having that pain split among, in many ways, two fan bases because Thunder fans weren't mostly oh, Sonic fans, and Sonic absolutely two fan enough. bases. <laughs> yeah, that 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 kind of makes it easier, you know. If you if you thought about it as as one, they would be so much more collectively Snakebit. Yeah. Um, than than they are.
0: Plus, I think there's still a subset of Thunder fans and, and general fans who think the Thunder kind of brought on themselves for trading James Harden. Sure. So I think that's also the other factor. You know, It was funny that we kind of – I think because the Kings were the number one seed and because they're the number one in that group, the Rob group, and because they have such a memory of the Donaghy stuff – we kind of made them the cover and said robbed, but really that group was just more like the missed opportunity group. And a lot of the missed opportunities were self-inflicted. Sure. So it was sort of weird. We didn't, we called it robbed, but I I think it didn't mean robbed in like they, it was unfair that they didn't win in all the cases.
3: Yeah. Uh, So so we can, we could transition a little bit more into the results. I, I mean, you did a lot of work getting this ready, but then also deferred to the fan bases to get some of the field. Um, were there any other before, were there any other teams that got in the field, like, you know, decisions that really surprised you from that? And then were there, what results within the, within the actual bracket surprised you most?
0: You mean the, the 32 team field yes. or just the, yeah, getting you know, from the 64 32 to
3: 32 team. and then as, as you move through 32?
0: Yeah. I thought it was mostly pretty straightforward other than I think the Suns pick was kind of interesting. Um, they tended to pick the team that I would have ranked highest anyway. One of the one interesting one was the Lakers had – and this I was debating whether this team even belonged in the field in the first place, and that's the 98 team before Del Harris got fired. Um, and they also had all those teams in the 60s with Elgin Baylor and Jerry West. I'm a little surprised that they chose – the 98 team over one of those Baylor West teams Um, just, but I think that might be just modern sure. bias talking. I was, this is more about the voting, but like I, I was, I guess I shouldn't be surprised because this is all happening at the same time in the last dance, but just the nineties nostalgia, but some of the fans was just out of control <laughs> in this, right, in this field. Like the way that they would keep, they would keep picking the nineties teams or be like, where are the Suns? I want to pick the Suns," And, it was kind of ridiculous to me. I, I just didn't think that a lot of those 90s teens well, were as it, good as people thought.
3: It, it The 90s depend – you know, not, not universally because obviously there are a lot of people who read and listen to, to us and SBN and everything else who weren't alive then. So you, you don't have that. But it is, it is really in the sweet spot for a lot of readers and people who are engaged where they were young and remember it fondly. And then I think right. Last Dance is, is working with that as well. And so it doesn't necessarily get, it's not so recent that it feels like it got, you know, it's affected by that. And then it's also not so far away that it's, it feels like ancient history. Like I think that's something that the right. West Baylor teams, I mean, I've talked a lot with um, people like Jim Barnett and various, you know, pe- pe- individuals who were around in that time and talking with them about how things translate, especially for me. I give deference to the people who are still connected with it because I think that's easier to make comparisons than those who, you know, let's say played right. then and then just aren't as connected with the current product because then it's harder to it's harder f- for them to compare just like it's hard for me to compare with Jerry West because I wasn't alive then. Right. And yeah. and so that you know, you, I think the 90s for a lot of people like people around our age who grew up with the sport a little bit older maybe though the, that's their their kind of sweet spot in the way that for me like there's an era of football probably like the late 90s early 2000s also helped that the niners were good then that is that i think of more fondly than it might deserve
0: yeah so, no I, that, that all makes sense i thought there'd be a bump i just thought it was more it, was more, prena- it was more pronounced like, than you thought i'm stunned that the the 97 like i don't think that pat riley's heat were like that great like I know, there's that one year they won sixty-one games, but I never thought they were like they got it. They got in because they were the only Heat team because the Heat had won a lot of titles. They got matched up against the '86 Bucks, the '80s Bucks, who I just thought were like a sleeper in the tournament. I thought, oh they yeah, were,
3: they have some unbelievable teams. I, yeah, that didn't. and
0: somehow the Heat won that matchup, and I was like, there's no way that the Heat are a better team than the '86 Bucks. I thought that was like a prime example of '90s bias going on. I, I thought that was a crazy pick by the fans. Sorry. <laughs> you guys made a lot of good picks.
3: Plenty more to talk about with Mike Prada, but first a message from Bet Online. Currently no NBA, NHL, or Major League Baseball. You might think that there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on from their online casino to poker and blackjack as they are bringing the Vegas to you. They also have daily Madden NFL 20 simulations that you can wager on. And whatever you're into, you can use the Podcast One promo code at BetOnline, and that gives you a sign-up bonus also tells them, of course, that you came from us. They also have entertainment betting like Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. And importantly, if you are a UFC fan, UFC 249 is coming up on May 9th. Stay tuned to the end of this Real Gym Radio episode to hear former MMA star Chael Sonnen and Online Dave Mason talk all things UFC 249. So, visit Bet Online on your mobile device or on your computer. Join today and make sure to use that Podcast One promo code to tell them you came from us and get your sign up bonus at Bet Online, your online wagering solution.
0: Um, who Do you do you think the right team won? The, the team that won, by the way, for those who don't know, are the 97 Jazz that lost to the first team that lost to the Bulls uh, in the finals, not the second team. Yeah, not, not the, the one not that's going to get team. Yeah, the, the one before that.
3: Uh, so again, I will put on the normal caveats. I, I think that they're definitely in the short conversation. Actually, that eighty-six bucks team is in there too. Of yeah, I just, thought they
0: would. They're sleeper. I thought it, they'd go really far.
3: Incredible talent. Um, but yeah, between all of those, yeah, I, I, I mean, I watched a little bit back then, and I remember thinking they were they were really good. They were really good. And I'm trying to remember. Um, from what I recall, that Jazz team didn't face. Yeah, they didn't face a ton of it. Like, they didn't get beat too much within the Western Conference. Yeah, they beat the Clippers. They swept the Clippers. They lost one game to the Lakers and only lost two against the Rockets. That's another indicator sometimes. I mean, you also have to then depend on how good were their opponents and everything else. There's a lot of context that matters. But it it can be another good calibrator. And, you know, that Jazz team won 64 games. They were... They number two in push. offense, number nine in defense, and just just a great squad overall. So yeah, I, I think they're I think they're definitely in the conversation. And this is just like you know when we get into champions, which is if you're good enough to be in the mix, then I'm not going to be too angry that you won or didn't win.
0: It's if somebody yeah, but that's who- not that's against the spirit of this exercise. So I want yeah. you to be angrier. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I think that all the the case for them is all of that and. Um, the case against them would be i think that the team the next year didn't have stockton to start the season still won at about as many games yeah i don't buy that but the they actually did better in the west playoffs after they got past season 98 they kind of pretty easily took care of tim duncan's rookie year spurs and then crushed the 61 win lakers so they maybe were more dominant also the I'm there, I think this is more of a thing that happens Nowadays but the 97 Jazz are kind of one of those teams that just killed Everyone at the end of the year Yes. You know, I, I'm trying to remember there, there are a lot of those teams Out there like that and I think we've kind of found that At least in modern times like it's better To be really good early than late Right because the teams are less Sort of have less wear and tear on them So sometimes like you can see these Teams that go on long runs at the end of the season That aren't quite as good once everyone's Sort of back in playoff mode so the Jazz would qualify in that regard. I think they lost like one game in the last like twenty. Well, yeah, like and, they were on a roll to end the year.
3: And, and one of the hardest things in an exercise like this is you talked about the, kind of the context there of you know Stockton missing part of the year, or I mean the Thunder dealt with injuries at different moments in that. And are you comparing how they played in May to how they played in February or whatever? However you want yeah. to go with with that and. But again, it's it's a fun exercise. It's, no, nothing's going to be perfect. And so yeah, I think that I think the jazz in the conversation yeah. There are a bunch of uh, I mean there's some there's some really good Blazers teams and Sonics teams and and, and also yeah. remember like I mean, I think it would be fun at some point to do an exercise with loosened restrictions and then get into a bun- like to to get into a bunch of teams that didn't win, but also like were very prosperous because then you could get into some real wars of like almost like I mean some of those like the Celtics teams in the in the two thousands that didn't win and LA, or the the almost but like kind of dids like that's a different it's a different yeah. conversation but a, a pretty fun one.
0: Yeah, I mean, what I guess the you would agree that the seventy three and Warriors would probably beat everyone in this field.
3: I would, but I would also say that the 2019 Warriors would be would be to me the 27. I mean, again, how are we qualifying terms? The 20 to me, the 2019 Warriors were a better basketball team than the 2016 Warriors. Not in the regular season, obviously, but as a overall talent group because they had Kevin Durant and Kevin Durant's pretty good. At That's
0: baseball. a fair argument. I mean, I purposely left it open for that reason. You know, I, is it when you're playing your best? Is it? Your overall body of work. Like I just think it's more fun to think to allow people to sort of set their own criteria. And and, and
3: that's that gets into something that I've always found so interesting, which is like the the LeBron Heat teams never Mm -hmm. they they never really put together that perfect regular season and playoffs. But I think you can make a really good argument that I would have to to confer and look back at the teams i think it would probably be the 12 team or maybe the 13 team it's just the aging of wade versus them actually building out their bench as one of the like four or five most talented teams of all time but because they never put together that i think they had some injuries that year they also you know those teams knew what they were playing for so they didn't have as much of that sense of urgency that this is right. there even though they're obviously not eligible for this field it gets into the other idea which is like yeah so the 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 eleven twelve team that was the that was a um, shortened season because incidentally because of those heat teams they went forty six and twenty actually probably it'd probably be the twelve thirteen
0: season but you well, have, it's you- funny the the heat that year were underdogs to the thunder I believe in the betting coming I think to they, the finals I
3: think they might have been but I'm uh, pretty
0: sure they were but th- that actually there was a, there were a couple times where that issue did crop up most notably how do you classify the Paul George Pacers sure which were basically as i put it like kind of had one great year spread over two calendar years because mm-hmm. they collapsed at the end of the 2014 season and they kind of weren't quite there at the beginning of the 2013 season so mm-hmm. do, do you rank them higher or lower depending on like which part of if you're doing literally a season like neither of the two seasons is like a great team but the in between is a great team that happened to portland too with the uh, marcus aldridge era there are a few teams like that where it's like the peak of their existence happened over multiple seasons.
3: Yeah, and that's also what um, I've enjoyed Kevin Pelton doing the Basketball equivalent of the Ballon d'Or of yeah. who is the best player for a calendar year. I actually did years and years ago. I did a Real Jam Radio year in review podcast, and almost I, I had like eight different guests on it. And almost everyone said, This is a really weird way to think about basketball. I'm like, Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> they're all weird. You know, well, can you sure.
0: imagine? <laughs> you, I assume you you follow soccer. So can you imagine if they like decided playoff bursts the same way that uh, soccer decides Champions League births based on what you did last season?
3: Yeah,
0: <laughs> like a separate season. So well, and
3: then you'd, you'd have circumstances where it's like, congratulations, like to the 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 sixteen seventeen Thunder. I mean, you were you were the fourth place, you were the fourth place team in the overall league, or third. I mean, because they lost in the better conference, <laughs> and you're 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 into the equivalent of the Champions League, but you don't have Kevin Durant. I mean, can you hey, imagine
0: and- <laughs> the ninety nine Bulls a year after the last? <laughs> <chance>. <laughs> I guess that does kind of happen in soccer. Well, but then there's where,
3: the hilar- there's the sorry. hilarious one in soccer that happened where um, I think it was Chelsea a few years ago. Like they weren't qualified for the Champions League, but then they won the Champions League. So then they knocked out another
0: team because yeah. They they won. Yes, I think I know. I think it was twenty twelve. Yeah, they talking. were. They like
3: they were like I think they were like sixth or seventh in the table, something like that. Like, <laughs> and then, but then they won the Champions League. So too bad. So sad. Yeah, <laughs>
0: that happens. That also happened a couple times with you know now that the Europa League champion gets a spot. I mean, this isn't yeah. a soccer podcast, but, yeah, but I
3: mean you know. basketball. I mean. The, it would be i've thought a lot about because people ask me about promotion and relegation and how those types of things work and my answer is the basketball season just isn't conducive to that also the ge- the geography of basketball isn't conducive to that i mean uh, it yeah. would be i i would enjoy it if they were able to if if the players were you know interested to do like to do a you know some sort of series of the euro the euro league champion against the NBA champion or something, but I also don't understand how it would that it would generate enough money for the players to be like, yeah, I'd rather do that than take a week of vacation.
0: I think promotion relegation is a little overrated, anyway. I do That's too. I think
3: I think it is. <laughs> I think it is very interesting and worth talking about, but I also think that it is, yeah, it is kind of overrated in terms of how much it actually matters for the arc of the league.
0: Well, the other thing, I mean, if say you had promotion relegation in basketball, what well, you'd end up hap- what end up happening is that you'd have no teams that would ever think like long term strategy. Right. This is what happens in the Premier League. You know, I root for one of these teams, so I know I, I know how it works. <laughs> There's no at a certain point you're just sort of trying to shift gears around, and you have no long term strategy. and Your only goal is to finish 17th or. Sixteenth or seventeenth or whatever, and so every team from like eighth to seventeenth is essentially the same all you 're trying to do is avoid being eighteenth and so there's no there's i mean in soccer there 's obviously the the money difference dwarfs it, but I think in basketball what you'd end up seeing is you'd have first of all there no way in hell would there be the process no way in hell would be there be anything like that. You'd have a lot of teams that I think would operate like sort of the Bucks used to do under Herb Cole, where they're just sort of going for eighth seed every year. And I think that makes some mediocre products sometimes.
3: Yeah, and I, I actually wrote a piece... Um Sort of on this on this line that came out at the Athletic today on Wednesday about the so basketball doesn't have that equivalent but basically it was on the perils of short term gming when a team isn't very good and the whole idea there was in, in basketball it's a little bit different because so- European teams don't have like draft picks in the same respect right. but what I wrote, what I was writing about in the context of Scott Perry and the Knicks is when a, when a team give a a general manager is supposed to have a long view, like that's a really a part of the position and it's supposed to reconcile with the coach having a short view and then owners exist where they exist. And Mm -hmm. when a general manager shifts from the long view, it can work if your window is right now and your window is short, by all means, those teams should take that approach. But when it's, when you're not in that mode. And so the, the examples I brought up in, this, in this, this weird confluence with Scott Perry, this is how I thought of it, was Scott Perry was in – and again, these aren't his fault. He wasn't the decision maker for any of these three organizations. He was, he was the number two at all of them. So right. Scott Perry was under Hennigan in Orlando when Hennigan was on the hot seat and traded Oladipo, Sabonis, and Ilyasova for Serge Ibaka. Then he was he was in Sacramento when Vlade and the Kings signed George Hill to that big contract and, and Zach Randolph to that big contract, and then he was number two on the Knicks to Steve Mills when the Knicks had that 2019 offseason where they spent a bunch of money on players that didn't make sense. And, <laughs> and, it, and so what I got into with it was this idea that one of the most dangerous circumstances in the NBA is a general manager who's priorities do not align with where their team is and and, and so that that is basically basketball manufacturing something akin to what you were talking about with promotion relegation
0: yeah i guess you could also look at it the other way which you know bringing back to the thunder like the inverse of scott perry might be like sam presti in 2011 or 2012 where they're thinking too much about the long term And they have something in front of them. Um, I think you're right. It's sort of the mismatching between the two that sort of or I mean, Jerry Krause is an interesting example with like sort of some of the stuff he's did with the Bulls. He was he was always so focused in the long term and he sort of lost track of what he had right in front of him. Yeah, you know, and,
3: that, and, and and then there's also Presti Presty is a is a great example of this and and to an extent Jerry Krause's. I think that Reins from the part of the of last dance we've seen so far, I think Reinsdorf's part in all of this is being very understated. Unfortunately part of that might be because he's alive and Jerry Krause has passed
0: away. I think but, that's most of it, yeah. And,
3: and so like Reinsdorf <laughs> has that, and then for Presty a big part of why the Thunder broke up was because their ownership group at the time looked like they were seeing a big tax bill and were reluctant to pay it. And then what makes the Thunder story so crazy is and I've broken down people
0: could read they paid it this anyway. Book,
3: is that they ended up paying it for worse teams?
0: I know so. this was uh, this is exactly what it, I just I still remember the piece and I, I cited it in the title list that Andrew Sharp wrote is like, if this is a business decision, it's possible this is bad business because they're just going to pay for a worse team down the road. And lo and behold, that's exactly what happened. Yeah, I think what 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 this if you had promotion relegation, I think you have I agree, you'd have a lot more of these sort of situations because. You're putting you're putting much more of the strategy into the results when the strategy and the results don't always they need to be related but they shouldn't be the same. You know, and, that's,
3: and, and the other and that's also part of the idea, you know, if you don't have promotion relegation and you're still having people come in via draft rather than the academy system of loosening the lottery odds is that you don't you, you don't necessarily want as much downward pressure on the bottom, but you still want a little bit just because you, you don't want those teams to Throw a bunch of money at players that don't really help them.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I the think players don't necessarily happens. want the
3: players. Could go either way. I mean, that I, if you if you want to think about it from a PA perspective, that leads to teams spending more money than they probably would otherwise. Like the process, and th- this something I don't know if you've read Tanky to the Top yet that comes up. in, I mean, in I'm still own, reading it. Is yeah. is that you think of all the groups that hated the process? One of the big ones was agents and players because they weren't paying players.
0: Yeah, I mean. You you have an economic background, isn't that like kind of an externality of the process, the whole agents and players thing? It, you know, yeah, it, like, it, 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 like it, it kind
3: kind of is. I mean, and it gets into uh, we talked about that he was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago about the idea of losing constituencies, and yeah. uh, that it just yeah. some of the some of it, yeah, it, it is. But also, I I would make an argument that it wasn't an externality because I think it was something that he pressed, that Hinkie didn't care too much about, but I think ownership really did, which is oh. You can figure out ways to save us even more money when our team is obviously terrible. So right. that is that is a much more of, you know like the way they did it via trades and everything else. Like there, I think part of it it wasn't the capital T capital P the process, but it was a part of what gave Hanky for a while, the latitude with ownership that he needed to actually do it. So I don't yeah. separate the two, but it's possible that some do. And could I just you could justify it.
0: Yeah. I guess I'm thinking of externality in terms of like the success of Tinky's own plan where it's like the thing that he didn't put enough attention on is that by fielding uncompetitive rosters he may piss off the very people he's going to need later on and right. you know yeah. that that, that, element yeah, of it I that think that's, that's, like that's, sort that's, of that's totally fair he, yeah he didn't really consider but no i mean i think you know if you had promotion relegation i think you'd have more confusion over this type of thing because there's so much more short-term pressure and i think that would be bad and i think it's bad in soccer in a lot of ways and i think it would be worse in the nba um so you know I just anything that sort of makes it so that the it's going to sound a little weird, I think, but I think you're seeing this in so many industries now with the COVID-19 response. Anytime that short-term results, your your strategy is so based on short-term results. I think the companies that are like kind of really struggling are the ones, you know, may may not be talking about a certain one. <laughs> um, but uh, they're the ones that like kind of so much of their sort of ethos are, sh- are short-term or or strategies based on, like, short-term results. I think You're going to see this with the NBA, too, you know, that if you have, like, a good, strong perspective on what you are and you have a plan out the road that, like, kind of is accounting for this, you won't be as hit by these short-term losses, and I think, or you won't be governed by them, and I think, that makes you, in the short term, it might be worse, but in the long term, it's a better business that you have. And my worry is with all sports industries, and the NBA in particular, given what's happened with China, is that they're going to think that they need to bring the games back too soon because they are, they're thinking about the lost revenue that they have right now rather than thinking about what's the strategy that will not just get us the most money right now but will kind of keep us afloat and keep everything working for the long term. It's when you create a situation where short-term thinking can be so can be so tied to strategy i think that's when you get into trouble and that's not to say that like your strategy can be short-term but like i I think one has to dictate the other not the other way around so i I worry about that in a lot of places and i worry about that in the nba and i think if you had if you had promotion relegation you'd just have more of that and i think it would be a worse product
3: yeah another way of phrasing that is that aggressiveness to aggressiveness to to on the short term can be an enemy of long-term success and that is a, a a really it's a really dangerous thing in a lot of different entities whether we're talking sports teams individually sports leagues collectively and the financial reality that a lot of these companies and leagues are in it kind of it gives more weight to the angel on the wrong shoulder rather than the angel the, – the, 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 to the thing on the wrong shoulder rather than the one on the right shoulder. And because of the way this works from what I understand, and I admit that I'm far from an expert, it it can lead to these doubly bad decisions where it's like you come back too early and you lose you lose more coming back early than you do by being patient because you then have to stay out longer. Like those yeah, sorts of
0: and obviously, it's the reopening products. the economy described—you've just described it. Yes, it's not like reopening the economy is going to be. I, I know this may maybe getting a little typical. If you reopen the economy, it's going to—it's not going to make it better. <laughs> like it's going to make it worse. Right. Um. Yeah. I, I just think like anytime you sort of as a business you're thinking about like sort of recouping what you've lost rather than sort of what you can gain in the future cost as a fallacy, strategy. Maybe. What's that?
3: Sun cost fallacy yeah there's there's a whole bunch of there's a whole bunch of really good uh really good research and all that into that general area uh but let's let's jump to a a cool endeavor that that you are doing which i'm i'm so i'm so thrilled that the way i would phrase this is that you're making some really good lemonade out of some unfortunate lemons which is the the Substack that you're doing which is basically taking the way i would the way that i'm interpreting is that taking some of what would have been in a different locale and putting it on Substack so you can still produce content that readers can enjoy and hopefully make some money doing
0: it yeah and i you know i think there's just it, again like you said it's a lot of the stuff i would be doing I, I just i very much believe that like I, I, my edge is never going to be that i'm going to know the most about basketball or i'm going to be you know the person that can whip up the most creative on court stuff like there's so many people that know more than me what i think i do i try to do is i try to make it so that other people can understand it a little bit of a better way and use writing about sort of the game itself, the schemes and all that as a way to not as like sort of a niche on its own, but as like something that is very woven into how you tell the story of the league. So, you know, I've tried to make it so that this is like sort of breakdowns that like, if you're not, if you don't know the terms or you just like watching the game or you don't have to know so much to sort of be able to appreciate a little bit more how, things on the court that you love happen. So that's sort of what I've always been trying to do. And now I guess I'm doing it for somewhere else. Um, We'll see how long. I mean, obviously, I don't know what my future is. After the furlough period ends, I might go back. so And then we'll have that. And then we'll also bring back Limited Upside um, as part of that. And we'll kind of see where it goes. But no, so far, I've been really, really great to see people supporting the endeavor, Um, working on my next Piece now, which led yes. um, up well, to the first one.
3: Let's talk. Let's talk about the first one a little bit that we can we can talk about second if you want to. But so I, I thought that you know in the context of the last dance, I thought that it was a really a really important part of this story because the last dance isn't being rigid on the 97-98 season. It's telling the the story of the Jordan Bulls. I was going to say the history, but there are some there are some reasons why I think story is better than history
0: as the descriptor here. But is um, it, there it, there is a story in history? Is there not? There is.
3: <laughs> and I think that what you what you got into in the the first piece on on the Substack is the other big element, and are arguably the biggest one that led to those Bulls teams getting over the hump that of the Bad Boys Pistons. It wasn't Jordan getting better or Phil Jackson and the triangle and you know replacing Doug Collins. It was Scottie Pippen being a monster, and that meant that the Bad Boys Jordan rules didn't work as well
0: yeah what I found interesting about the whole thing is that uh, I, I'm very much uh, I sort of also laid out like a thing that I always believe, which is you know facts and the truth of a story kind of really depends on who's telling it. Yes, and you know you get if you it, what whether it's you know because of the triangle, because of Phil, because of Jordan toughening them up, or the the theory that I've sort of heard a lot more, which is just that like Detroit was aging, sure you know they're getting older. None of those things are wrong, necessarily. But I think if we sort of have this discussion where we're like, which is the real cause of this? We lose sight of sort of what actually is really driving this. Like, I don't care as much. I mean, I guess you could talk for a long time about why Scottie Pippen was better in 1991 than he was in the previous years. You can say he just was naturally going to age into his role. You could say... He Jordan had toughened him up. You could say that Phil Jackson put him in positions to succeed. You could say, you know, all sorts of different things. You know, you could say it wouldn't have mattered anyway because the Pistons were old and yeah. you know aging. And
3: the answer, my, and the answer is probably all of them. It's just figuring out the proportions.
0: Yeah, but I think if you sort of focus so much on the story, you miss the like kind of nuts and bolts of you know in practice what what it was that Scottie Pittman's emergence meant, and in a real fundamental way, it, it, you know. It's sort of like you miss the forest. You see, is it you miss the forest of the trees, or you see the forest of the trees? I always mix that phrase up. Um, you don't know what I'm talking about. So no, it's like, I,
3: I know I know it, but I don't have it right either. So we'll just leave it where it is.
0: <laughs> like the the very fundamental thing that changed is that the Bulls went from a one initiator setup to a two initiator setup, and that was that was all that they needed. You know, for all this complicated stuff about like kind of these secret rules and the physicality and the mental toughness and the blah, 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 I really just, that's all it really came down to. You know, once they got that second initiative, the guy who, second guy that could make plays for himself and they used him that way, that was it. Pistons on no shot. And I just wanted to kind of put that on paper and how that manifests itself both in half court and transition and everything, you know. I didn't, the, the idea of like counting the number of dribbles was something that, um, I kind of thought of as like, as I'm watching some of these old games, I'm like, man, it's like, where's Scotty even, he's just like uh, other the other players, but you watch these other games, it was, he was not. So that's what I wanted to try to emphasize is like it, it, the actual reasoning is less important in a lot of ways than like sort of what happened. Um, so that's, I just wanted to kind of focus it back on what actually happened.
3: Right, and as as usual, lots of good visual aids, something that I'm jealous of in your work, both video and just more photo based stuff, is that you're so much better at that than I am, which is both great as a reader and, and frustrated as a competitive person. But I I thought that I thought that fit really well. And it also to me, that the visual aids help make the story more accessible because then it's not even necessarily – I mean one of the examples that uses is like how many – just how many players are looking at Michael Jordan. It's mm-hmm. a lot easier to show a picture of that, to show a short video of that rather than just say it. Like people can be like, oh, OK, I get that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean they're all storytelling tools, you know. And one of the things I try to do is that like theoretically one could write the story without the pictures but just then you use the pictures and the video as like additional – tools to help one understand because i think a lot of times with this sort of writing people think the opposite way it's like well we've got to put the pictures in first and then write around the pictures like, i actually look at it as the opposite like they're just other tools to help tell whatever story you want and they can tell a story whether you're doing it in any sort of way you know there's nothing magical about only using pictures for film breakdown stuff right um so that's always how i've tried to think about it like i'm pretty sure i wrote that entire story before i added anything to it you know i had scribbled down notes that of plays that were interesting i like kind of had thought in my head like here's like the type of play that could go here but i hadn't picked out the plays yet i wrote the thing first Mm -hmm. i just sort of left gaps that's sort of how i try to do it i'm not sure if that's how a lot of people do it i think a lot of people who write this way think the opposite way they go I need to find the pick the the ones I want to use first and then I write. You know, that's Well, and it's also sort of, I
3: think I think part of why what your what why your way worse and and if I and I want to get more into incorporating visual stuff obviously can't in podcast, but in in terms of my writing is that it gets at the idea that you need the thesis to be sound first and then the video the video can kind of it, it's a supplement. Yeah. And so you know for and also there are a lot of cases, and I'm guessing this is partially why you ended up there is that there are more there are plenty of videos that show the same point, and so if you say, this is the point I'm looking for in video, it's a lot easier than trying to watch a video and say and interpret and and find the point from it
0: yeah, no i mean and obviously watching the video can change what the point is, but I think yeah it, it it also I think really helps in sort of. Framing everything in like sort of a bigger way than just what's on the court You know if you're just sort of picking the video out first It's very easy to get sort of dive too deep in the details and you sort of lose again The phrase that I always forget the forest or the trees, you know You, you start to kind of get into that and it happens to me when I research it That's why sometimes these pieces are so challenging um, But it is important that this is framed in like kind of a bigger idea uh, and the same thing is going to happen like the piece I'm working on now is on – I'm going to be writing a bit about the Sonics of the 90s and their defensive style. But it's very much anchored on an idea for today. I think if you remember when I wrote about the Raptors, I had briefly mentioned Seattle as like sort of a, a team that played that way. This is mm-hmm. going to be much more of an expansion at that point. Um, but it's really important to have – obviously when you watch and when you follow the league, you, you pick up on these things. You have the idea first. And then the sort of the – it's a lot of it is like the difference between strategy and tactics. And I think just a lot of writers, a lot of people misconflate the two. Strategy is the idea. Tactics are how you do it. You know, I think that's sort of how I try to think about this stuff. Yeah. Just use the Jordan rules. Like the strategy of the Jordan rules is actually quite simple. What's actually – what's a little more complicated is the tactics. But the strategy is just hit him and make anyone else beat us.
3: Yeah, and make sure that he doesn't get to specific spots where he's most dangerous.
0: Yeah, I mean those are the tactics.
3: That's true. I cool. guess that's, that's pretty – I think you're
0: right. And But the strategy – and I think that just – it makes it easier to understand I think what teams are doing because I think a lot of people that are writing sort of conflate the two. And so right. like someone – and I think – I mean I'm not trying to pick on you just because I thought it was interesting that you mentioned that. Like that It's interesting that you mentioned something that you thought was strategy but I would call tactics.
3: It can be. I think it's a. It's a. It's a totally fair point to mention it. And and yeah. And how it's applied versus what the main ideas are. That that's sort of an
0: approach. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I'm not trying to. I'm oh picking. no. I know. I trust, think it's me, just, trust me. Trust me. Even if you were, I'd be fine. <laughs> I think it's hard to be able to to figure some of this stuff. And I think the people who are designing the tactics don't always do it with a strategy. Sure. Well in mind. It's just like, it's just like general managers <laughs> we were talking right. about earlier. You know, they're, <laughs> they're, they're, they're short versus long-term thinking. The real problem is not one or the other. It's that they are mistaking the tactics of how you get better with the strategy. Right. You yeah. know, it's the same sort of thing. So I, I just try to make a distinction between those two and hopefully I'm successful and people like it. I mean, it's, it's hard Um, But that's kind of what I'm trying to do is sort of think about these more as what's happening on the court and what teams are doing more from like a why are they doing it in a big picture way rather than how are they doing and then how are they doing it rather than the opposite, I guess.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Before we go, I will – if there's anything else you want to discuss or mention, you have the floor.
0: Uh, No, not really. I mean we're going to have our first podcast. One of the things that – I know you've watched a lot of – Classic games, I presume, during this time, and one of the things that's always fascinating to me is like how different is the game really from the nineties and today. And I think there are two ways to answer that question. It's sort of an interesting discussion, so I think that's what we're going to talk about on our first show. Is just uh, we're watching these games, like what about them is actually different and what about them is the same. Um, and then I've got, I am probably going to have a piece out for another website. I'm not sure exactly when, but still working on some stuff for other sites potentially as well in addition to this.
3: Got it. Well, I I will, of course, look forward. I encourage everybody else to. And thank you so much for taking the time.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me.
3: Thanks again to Mike Prada for taking the time to come on. You can subscribe to Prada's Pictures, which is his new newsletter at mikeprada.substack.com. And you can also follow him on Twitter at Mike Prada, M-I-K-E-P-R-A-D-A-N-B-A. And of course, even though he is currently furloughed, you could still read his great work at SB Nation. He's just been such a great stalwart for them. So many amazing people have gone through there, and Prada's been an important part of all of that. So definitely check out Preta's Pictures if you can, support to support his work and this is a tough time for a lot of us and I, I know I know he appreciates it. If you want to support this show, there are a lot of ways that you can do so. You can leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player of your choosing. It's great if it's Apple Podcasts. Totally understand if it's not. And if you want to be super awesome, if you use a different player, you can actually leave reviews both places. You can leave one in Apple Podcasts as well. That helps people find the show. Also, word of mouth is another way to help people find the show. If you think they'll like a specific episode or just the show in general, however you share that information, it is appreciated. And subscribing, downloading every episode is super important because Real Jam Radio will never come out on a specific schedule. So if you subscribe, then it'll just pop into your player whenever it's ready, whether that's Spotify or Apple or anything else. I use Overcast personally, but whatever you use, you can subscribe, download it there. And the single most important thing for the show and any other that has them is to check out our sponsors, bet online, use the podcast one promo code, tells them you came from us, also gives you a sign up bonus, which is awesome. And you can also listen to the UFC 249 preview with Chael Sonnen and Dave Mason that will run at the very end of this short remaining message You can do that. You can also check out my work at The Athletic. I just wrote a piece that came out on Wednesday about... Short-term gming. Prada and I talked about this a little bit. That's up at the Athletic, and you can all. I have another couple pieces that are coming out. Maybe even a couple by the end of the week. Have a lot in the works right now. Dunked on, still going strong, recording five times a week. Nate's doing the COVID daily news as well, which you can check out, and. As always, Real Gym Radio will be back next week. If you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, danielarueNBA at gmail.com is the way to share that information with me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That is a promise, and I will respond if I can. I don't promise to do that, but I do promise to read it. They go into a special inbox. I read them every day, and that makes the show better. We'll be back next week, but before that... I will say thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. And if you want to check out the conversation with Shale Sonnen and Dave Mason about UFC 249, you can listen to it right now.
1: All right. Now we are joined by Dave Mason from betonline.ag. Dave, we can finally talk about some fights. UFC 249 is going to happen. Let's just start with that, man. Does it, does it feel good to get back to some normalcy?
2: oh absolutely and you know as i've told you before ufc is one of my favorite sports so uh makes it even better been waiting a long time here for some real sports action and it's a great card too and three cards within a week it's looking like so uh we're excited
1: hey dana was just talking about adding a fourth i mean if he adds a fourth not only is that four cards to look forward to but on an average of 10 fights per card i mean if you're a fight fan you got a busy month ahead
2: oh absolutely i i can't wait finally put my netflix machine on the back burner and watch some sports again. I'm. I can't wait.
1: All right. Well, let's start. Uh, let's start with the main event. I mean, it's going to be for an interim world title fight. You're talking about Justin Gaethje versus uh, versus Tony Ferguson. Before we get in the odds of it, this fight is different now that it's May 9th as opposed to April 18th. In this way, Justin Gaethje accepted that fight on very short notice, and even though he was training and kind of keeping his weight down, it's totally different to have a signed contract and really be pushing and motivated. The mere fact that they've given him 3 extra weeks to train that does change how this fight looks do you agree
2: no 100% you know those short notice fights are always uh, a tough one for you fighters obviously and we recognize it in the odds and the results when the habib fight got canceled and he had to pull out and and they replaced him with justin gagey I wasn't too disappointed, so sure, I sure I want to see Hippie versus El Kakui, no doubt. But I mean, you know, from a fan standpoint, just a just a good old slugfest. It's not going to get any better than this one, man. I I, I can't wait. You know, we had Tony Ferguson at minus one seventy two favorite. He's what won won twelve fights in a row, I, and Justin Gagey off a three fight win streak. He's a plus one forty seven. Underdog, So I, I can't wait for this one. Just as a fan of the sport and a fan of competition, this, it doesn't get any better than this. There's no way this fight can be boring. It's impossible.
1: Dana White just did an interview. He was promoting this fight, and he, he said, I guarantee you this will be the most violent fight you've ever seen and that was a very interesting word i've I've never heard him use that word so i was sitting back and pondering what exactly does that mean and do i agree and you know what i think he used the right word this is going to be chaos and violence in a controlled area for up to 25 minutes
2: no absolutely i mean look at ferguson with those elbows i mean his pointy elbows and his non-stop pace moving forward and Justin Gagey and hit that, that how he hits so hard and he goes in there and the ball's to the wall. I mean, it's not going to be any kind of strategy, feeling each other out stuff. These guys are going to be going at it, swinging for the fences. Both guys are going to be bleeding. The, the mat's going to be soaked in blood. I, I can't wait. All
1: right, so give me a line on it. What, how, what's Bet Online thinking about this fight? I imagine they're favoring Tony.
2: Yep, Tony's minus 172. The take back on Gagey is plus 147. That's all. Uh, that's all yeah.
1: negative, negative ones. That's close. That's close
2: it, odds. It, yeah. I mean, it's gone down and up a little bit. It was, you know, down to about minus 150 the other day. So it's going up and down. You know, Gage, he, he just hits so darn hard and he's on a three fight win streak. He's hot. You know, it's it's going to be one of those fights. I think it comes down to cardio and Tony uh, and Tony gets hit too. He, he's, he's awesome. He's one of my favorite fighters, but. He has been known to get take take a couple hits to the face, so if Gazy can catch him, you don't know. You know he's been knocked down plenty. Ferguson, so I, but I think Ferguson takes it in deep water with that relentless cardio, and that that's what I'm counting on for a you know fourth fifth round stoppage.
1: All right, so we got we got another title fight. The current champion Triple C Henry Cejudo is going to take on former champion Dominant Cruz. You go first on this one, but then you got to let me give you my opinion because I think I have an interesting take. Take it away. Oh,
2: good. Um, you know, Dominic Cruz, maybe the best fighter at that weight class ever, arguably. Henry Cejudo, man, the way he's poured it on the last couple of years, he's just become – you know, he's always had that potential being the a former Olympic gold medalist, and uh, he, he's really put it together the last year and a half, two years, since he beat uh, Demetrius Johnson. Oh, boy. I mean, I, I have to – Sajudo is a minus two twenty five favorite, and I'm going to be on him. I mean, it, it cruz It's he's been off. His last win was almost four years ago, I mean that's just such a long time. And he, you know, he came back. He fought those three fights. He looked okay, but he didn't look like it, the dominant Dominic Cruz of of old. So, you know, I, that that four years off is is this too much for me? I'm I'm going to be on Sajudo and who's peaking, and he looks better than ever.
1: All right, Dave, I am not ready to part with my money. I'm not even ready to publicly predict an upset here. However, this has all the makings of an upset. This is a stylistic problem to the highest of levels for Henry. Look, you can tell me on paper that Henry's a better wrestler and you would be right. He was the Olympic champion. He was the greatest wrestler alive. But you can't show me a whole bunch of his fights where he's ever effectively used his wrestling. I only bring that up because with Dominic's footwork and Dominic's ability to control range, to peck away at you, in many ways I think you could agree with me that wrestling is not going to be the solidifier in this contest so if wrestling's not that only leaves the striking and Dominic Cruz has only been outstruck one time in his life and it was a huge shock so if we're to use history use the body of work of these two athletes and agree that there's largely going to be stand-up that's Dominic's world in my opinion this is all the makings for potential upset that's all I'm saying
2: I love it opposite sides let's do it
1: Okay, so I don't know if you guys are taking action on this one, but I'm going to assume you are because it's Ngano versus Strike That was scheduled to be a main event, so I'm guessing that Bet Online is looking at it. Am I right?
2: Oh, uh, we have all odds on all the fights. Absolutely. is currently minus 285 favorite. Take back on Strike is plus 240. And holy God, is, is this going to be like, what a matchup this is? I mean, talk about heavy hitters to. Just giants of men, two big heavyweights. I can't wait for this one. Uh, you know, Rosenstrike—he he's got a great chin. I don't think anybody hits hard in Naganyu, but Rosenstrike has a heavy chin, and so uh, yeah, there's some live dog action there. Plus two forty. Sometimes it just comes down to who lands that big shot first. Uh, you know, in Naganyu, I, I, I sometimes question his cardio. So if if he swings himself, punches himself out early, and, and it's going into. Two, second or third round uh, I, I favor Rosenstrike there I think he can keep moving forward like he did his last fight
1: you see that's interesting you bring that up because this is another fight because of the change of date it changes the complexity of the fight this was originally going to be a main event which means it was originally going to be yep. a potential of 25 minutes now that it's down the card it's got a maximum of 15 minutes and to your point about Angano who does have a little bit of cardio issues I mean that's just a reality when you're packing that much muscle around in many ways Ways, the lower placement favors Ngano.
2: absolutely i mean the five round fight absolutely i mean i don't think those guys can make it in the fourth or fifth round but the three round fight absolutely uh favors nagano more than a would in a five round fight either way he's the easy the, uh he's a legitimate favorite but i just like that i like that live dog money on plus 240 on rosen
1: all right let's talk about the rematch uh anthony pettis showtime take it on the cowboy mm. Donald Cerrone, is, is, is this too much too soon for Cowboy?
2: I think it is. I mean, especially with his comments that came out the other day where he wasn't mentally into the the, the McGregor fight a few months ago. He didn't look good, and, and he didn't fight well, and, and he confirmed it this week. I don't know if that was just him talking whatever, but he, he's fought so much, man. I mean, there, there's no tougher guy in the sport, but he's just... Coming to an end, I think. You know, you see it with these guys sometimes, and and he, he he's just been on a he hasn't won much lately. And uh, Pettis, you know, I've never been a big Pettis fan, but he he's impressed me the last the last few fights. He's one of those guys who I think. I always had all the talent, but I kind of questioned, you know, his mindset and, and heart sometimes. And again, heart for a fighter because I don't have half the heart. This guy does, but he's 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 looked a lot a lot, lot tougher, and he's been in some real wars lately. So I just think Pettis deserves favor. He's minus one thirty six right now. Take back on Cerrone. He's plus one sixteen. But I don't know. Cerrone's just has not looked good the last few fights. Tough as hell, sure, but but he's he's going down. I think.
1: I went back and I rewatched that first fight. Dave, it wasn't competitive in the least. Pettis came out. He hit him with what they called a kick to the body, but it, kind, it almost looked like a knee, like more of the knee hit. I mean, it's just a really hard shot that would stop a fight. And Cerrone was too tough to stop. He tried to push through it, but it was all downhill from there. Pettis kind of peppered him with a couple of kick uh, punches, rather, came back to that exact same shot, that exact same kick, and the exact same part yep. of the body. I had a weird takeaway. Even though I can tell you as a guy that just rewatched this, that was not close. That was not competitive. It was still one of those nights where you look at Pettis and you go, Good job, congratulations, but I need to see that again. You made that look so easy that I'm not sure that my eyes are telling me that tr- I need to see that fight again. Is that too big of a stretch for me?
2: No, I mean, let, let's run it back, right? You know, it, it, both are definitely past their prime. And that was right before I think Pettis won the belt, I believe. So that's right when he was on, at, at his peak. But yeah, let's let's run it back. Two guys are... Legends and and um, let, let's run it back you know I, I just think Pettis has a little bit more in him right now and Cerrone is, is just he's been get beat up too you know he's he's been taking a beating too and I don't like to see that in these fighters once they start losing that chin and start going down a lot
1: no I hear you look as a fighter you're never done with this sport but you will wake up one day and this sport is done with you and i I don't know that either one of these guys is in that spot I don't wish that for him but that is a reality that might might unfold in front of us on May 9th
2: Absolutely. We'll find out. And it's a great card. I can't wait.
1: Dave, I appreciate you, buddy. I miss talking to you. I'm glad we finally have something to catch up on. Thank you, pal.
2: And <laughs> thank you, sir. Take care.